everybody, this is Sam, that girl with the curls, uh, bringing you a different kind of episode today. Actually, this is more like a, this is a bonus episode, definitely. It's not in the regular rotation. It's, um, it's an, it's a, it's a memoriam, I guess, for Darwin Cook. Um, I haven't done this before, and I'm actually a lot more nervous just talking on my own without someone to bounce ideas off, but I don't know, I just felt like I was going to have to you know, if, when you're having to schedule people, that's just sometimes it, it's better to do it on the fly when you know that the only person you can count on to be there is you. So, uh, so forgive me if this seems rambly and, you know, more so than it normally is, but uh, I, I really wanted to do this uh, because Darwin Cook, who unfortunately, as of the recording of this podcast, um, he passed away yesterday uh, in the morning. Um, after he'd gone into uh, not hospice but palliative care, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, I apologize. Someone put up the uh, actual phonetic pronunciation, and you know I could look it look it up, but you know lazy. <laughs> but he 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 passed away early yesterday morning, um, and uh, first of all, my I guess I hate the worth the whole thoughts and prayers thing, but uh, you know. Uh, condolences to his family because uh, he 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 was and I'm still trying to not say is uh, he he was the artist that got me into comic books basically uh, so I wanted to talk about that I would you know talk about his books a little bit as well as the I guess origin story of how Sam became a comic book person uh, because it's it happened a lot later in my life than I think some people would maybe believe. Um, not that it matters, really, because as a lot of people have said, once you're a fan, you're a fan. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I I wasn't always a... I was not a comic book reader for the, the longest part of my life, because um, where I lived in Washington State just didn't... You know, the, that I just never thought it was available to me. I didn't... It wasn't around a lot. Uh, there was maybe a card shop that I would go to, and that's where I used to get... Um, what is it, those Fleer X-Men cards? I think those were, like, the first, like, fan purchase I ever had as a kid. Um, but there wasn't a, a comic book store that I can really recall being in any area I was when I was growing up, because I moved around a few times, uh, between divorces. So, uh, but yeah, so through most of my life, not so much a comic book reader, and it wasn't until college uh, probably sometime in my junior, senior year when I actually started getting into reading comic books because, uh, I had always been a DC comics, I mean, the DC person because of the cartoons. Um, you know, same with the, the X-Men, Batman, the animated series came out in 1992, uh, the same, same year as X-Men. So those were like my big, like comic book oriented things that I watched, and so I wasn't a reader, I was a watcher, <laughs> which, oh, that just sounds weird, but whatever, go with it. Um, so, yeah, uh, I had always been the cartoon person, and as I got older, I was still a cartoon person. I mean, I love Justice League and Batman Beyond and everything, um, and it was around then, you know, probably my junior or senior year of college that they started doing the animated movies, the, you know, not necessarily within the DC animated universe, uh, you know, television shows, but the original movies, or as original as they can be when they're adaptations of, of, of known books. Um, 
So yeah, I think the first one was the adaptation of The Death and Return of Superman, which I remember watching and just going, ah, this is bad. This is awful. <laughs> it still remains, I think, probably one of the worst worst ones they've put out, but, you know, that's just my opinion. Uh, and I believe that New Frontier, DC New Frontier, was the second. It was the second in that um, that line. I mean, the original, not original, but the, the, the first few movies that they were adapting, when Bruce Timm and Paul Dini and, and all of them were still kind of in charge of all that, an, of the animation department uh, for Warner Brothers. So I remember watching New Frontier, and then uh, when I got the DVD, I'm, I'm a big behind-the-scenes person, so I like, um, my, my mother and I, when I was still living at home, uh, we would watch the Lord of the Rings behind-the-scenes stuff on the, especially the extended editions, uh, we would go full out and just, you know, spend hours watching all the behind-the-scenes stuff, including commentaries. I love commentaries. Um, I've actually written papers while commentaries have been running, because, I don't know, it just, it helps me focus sometimes when, you know, someone else is talking about something and then I can just kind of, you know, it's like a white noise after a while, but still entertaining to me. I think I wrote a whole paper listening to the Return of the King extended edition, uh, sound, uh, not soundtrack, commentary track. Uh, I don't remember which paper it was. Oh, no, 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 I do. It was a paper on Galileo and Giordano Bruno and the scientific revolution, whatever. Um, so <laughs> that's not important to the conversation right now. But the the point is that big commentary person. So when I got started buying the uh, animated movie DVDs, DVDs, so that I could just kind of have them on in the background or just rewatch them because I really enjoyed them, uh, on the New Frontier uh, uh, special features, there was a, there is, a commentary track by Darwin Cook. And so I listened to that, and then that just got me going on the well, He's super informative, and he's just as critical as he is, uh, happy to be watching his work come to life. Um, I don't think I knew at that point that Darwin was also a storyboarder and a concept designer for Batman Beyond. Um, it's, it's hard to arrange your life in a timeline where you understand when you learned a piece of information. So let's just say I didn't know it at that point, but I know it now. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, I was listening to his commentary track and, and then I was like, well, it's based on a comic book. Maybe I should read that because I'm a history major and that the, the movie adaptation of DC New Frontier just hit all of those history buttons for me because not only is it an examination of the transition from the Silver Age, to, from the Golden Age to the Silver Age uh, through the comic characters, but it's also steeped in the actual history that was going on at the time of the McCarthyism, Red Scare, uh, racism, sexism, uh, the space race, all that kind of you know, Cold War, all those things um, are happening in the movie alone, in the, in the adaptation. So I thought, well, maybe the book is like that too. And that was my first like real comic book purchase was DC New Frontier, the, the two volumes by Darwin Cook, you know, and oh my God, I just, I was so blown away by it. Just, uh, you know, more so than the movie, it just was such a good story, such a great story, uh, looking at how Darwin, uh, enjoyed the characters. I mean, you could just read it and see it. Um, 
And I think it was really the, not only was it the first purchase, but it was that first time I really started examining the art. I mean, I like art history. I like uh, having art history courses where you can uh, learn about the various uh, painters and, and whatnot. But, you know, you don't, I don't know, I just never really took much to heart in terms of like composition and colors and everything. But Darwin Cook's art is gorgeous. It's so beautiful. And, and for one, one reason really, as well as that he uses black in a very particular way. Like it's not empty space, but it's for emphasis. It's shadow. It's uh, very, you know, uh, Mike Mignola does the same thing. Like the, the, the use of black as a uh, not just like a, a, a heavy inking situation, but just more or less the, uh, the making the emphasis on shadows and um, like hard lines and everything. I think Darwin Cook was so good at that. You know, it just made things more dramatic and brought your eye to certain parts of the panels and and everything. Like the there's the sh- uh, sh- the shot of Wildcat. Uh, after he's won the boxing match, which uh, the movie doesn't go into, obviously, but there are extensive pieces in in those two volumes, obviously, because you have the space to do it. Um, but that that shot of Wildcat, when after he wins the match and the rose is falling on him, like most of like the the front half of his body is in shadow, except for where the light is coming off of him from the back kind of and you just see his hand you know his gloved hands raised in the air in victory and everything like those shots and the splash page of um john jones uh martian manhunter when he first arrives in uh in on earth you know just those those ways of making it look a, a little creepy but still interesting like you're not scared but you're intrigued like those kinds of things. I, I think Darwin Cook really understood that. And obviously, I mean, if you look at a lot of the stuff that he does, he's very good at drawing the eye and and uh, making you feel sympathy and empathy for characters, uh, not just in the artwork, but in his writing. Like that's, that's the one thing that I, Darwin also did that I enjoyed, uh, the fact that he was such a prolific writer as well as an artist. I mean, I didn't know the man personally. I, I never got the chance to meet him, which is one of those things I'm, you know, I, I regret still because, well, really, I just never had the opportunity. He was, he was going to be at Emerald City Comic Con a couple of years back, maybe, maybe four or five, actually. Um, but then he had, he canceled, and I don't know if that was due to uh, prior commitments, or maybe that was when his health was starting to really um, affect him. I mean, I didn't even realize he was only 53. I mean, he's younger than my parents. <laughs> so it just, again, fuck cancer. Um, just fuck it. Fuck it. Um, yeah, so after reading New Frontier, I mean, there are still sequences that give me chills even thinking about it. Like the whole the whole John Henry sequence um, with, a, a, what was it? Is it Hen- uh, Henry Wilson, I think? Yeah, the... Um, uh, sorry, I had to uh, check there for a second. Yeah, it was um, uh, John Henry, basically a man named John Wilson, who is uh, going around uh, dressed as uh, John Henry, or calling himself John Henry. He's like the hooded man with the hammer, and he's basically the inspiration for who will um, eventually be John Henry um, Irons, who becomes Steel. 
but that whole sequence of him being chased through uh, the south, you know, through the this area of the rural south by white supremacists, and um, within each panel is another reverse of the uh, John Henry uh, uh, tall tale uh, hymn, basically, or song, and he gets, he ends up in the backyard of this family, and there's this little white girl there, and he's just, you know, he's like, you know, help me, and you think for a second that you know, it's a little, it's a little girl, she, you know, she's innocent, like, she would, of course, help a, a, a person, but then she starts, she, she calls, she calls out that the, uh, you know, it's the n-word, so I'm really not going to say it, but she says that he's here, um, and so it just kind of shows you that even the, who we would deem the innocent, because of, you know, indoctrination of racism and whatnot, uh, they, they too are part of this system, um, and it just, it's such a powerful moment, I think, in that story. I'm trying, I can't remember now if it's volume one or volume two. I think it's volume one. Uh, but yeah, like, that's still, just even thinking about the John Henry song in in those panels and, and uh, the, his face when he sees that it's just, it's over. Like, he's, he's dead. Like, he's not going to get the help he needs. Uh, no one's going to stand up for him because he's a black man in the 50s and 60s South and it's just not, it's not going to end well. Um, but again, I think Darwin did an amazing job showcasing all of those things that were, everything that was happening in that time period. And he's certainly coming from an, uh, from a nostalgic point of view, because he was a child growing up during that, that era. But, um, I think the one thing that everyone will agree on is that he, he brought hope along with, with all the, the darkness that he was showcasing, because what New Frontier is really about, and not just that transition, is the, the evolution of the superheroes as well. Like, um, as, as dour as things can get, as hopeless as it, as it can look, these heroes are the ones that we would look to to find that inspiration, to keep fighting, to uh, see the world as still worthwhile and worth um, saving and exploring. And I think one of the things that always stands out about Darwin Cook's work is the there's as much as he uses black to um, you know, as a as a as a tool of invocation of evoking emotion. His use of light is just as easily, you know, defined where he, his characters smile, you know, <laughs> when they smile, you just feel like this kind of radiance coming off of them. Like he, uh, I don't know, it's like Wonder Woman smile and New Frontier has just always been awesome. Uh, pretty much any character. Hal Jordan, I mean, he made Hal Jordan a more likable character for me than anything Jeff Johns did, and I apologize, you know, if you're, no, I don't apologize, if you're a Jeff Johns fan, that's great, you know, a lot of people got into comics because of Jeff Johns, uh, but I feel like Darwin understood, uh, Hal a lot more, or was just better at showing his origin, um, because New Frontier is largely Hal's story in a lot of ways, I mean, it's a non-linear story, definitely, you know, with the center and the, um, he's this great big thing of evil that's affecting everybody, and it's a non-linear story, just kind of cuts in and out of different things. I mean, you've got you've got the entirety of the DC universe at that point, at least their golden and silver age counterparts um, happening in this in this book. And the fact is that he still kind of centers it, uh, no pun intended, 
around Hal Jordan and his his kind of embodiment of being the, the modern man of that age. Um, I was actually just recently watching the the movie adaptation and watching it with Darwin's commentary as well, and how he looks at Hal being that embodiment of the man of a of the future of a person who's a, a man who's sensitive and forthright and isn't isn't necessarily a John Wayne type but more of a Paul Newman and that's that's his words not mine um, and it's so weird hearing you know when you know a person has passed on and then you hear their voice through your television it's kind of off putting a little bit but at the same time just there was so much again you, you you hear the joy and the delight in his voice as well as the um the criticism and from what i've been gathering from people who have you know shared their stories of darwin cook who were friends of his or colleagues or at least acquaintances like he was he wasn't always the easiest person to get along with he was a little um he himself was a bit of a forthright guy would basically wouldn't bullshit you um so you know everyone's got their story about him who, who knew him uh, I, again, I just, I didn't get the chance to, uh, my friend JP though, who you'll recall as being part of this podcast on several occasions, uh, he got to meet him, I think it was at Dragon Con a few years ago, and actually got Darwin Cook to sign, a, a copy of the first volume of DC New Frontier for me, uh, which I have in my bookcase, uh, it's got his signature on it and everything, and that's the, I guess the closest I... I will ever come to meeting him, which is to say that I didn't, but have his signature on a thing that I have. So, um, but yeah, uh, and then after New Frontier, I mean, after New Frontier and I was just really into it, that's when I started really getting into comics where I was buying all the, the big pieces, the big seminal works, you know, the Dark Knight Returns and Year One and Watchmen and all that. And then just starting to kind of pick up stuff where I found that there was an interest. I mean, again, I was still always a DC person first, so I would pick up a lot of their stuff, but also X-Men, so, you know, because those were the, really the characters I was the most familiar with in terms of Marvel, but um, I'm nothing if not a quick study, so I would buy a lot of, I spent a lot of money on comics while I was in college, and, and honestly it was probably a good thing too, because they were an escape in a weird way from the, um, the work I was doing in school, just because you get so bogged down in something, even if it's something you love, and I'm, they, I will never stop loving history, you know, it's, it's still a thing that I will pick up books on and read at my leisure, you know, if I have that, that kind of time where I'm not feeling so lazy, <laughs> but, uh, but after a while you could get kind of burnt out and you get tired, and you want to read something that isn't you know, an examination of a document from, you know, 1870 or something like that. It just, it can wear you down. So I, I would turn to comics as kind of this thing to read that, you know, at that point I didn't, I wasn't applying as much like analytical thought to. Uh, I was just kind of like, oh, if it has a history subject to it, great, but I'm not like examining it for cultural impact or anything like that. It was mostly just to read and enjoy um, but, you know, as you keep reading and when you have that kind of a mindset, you know, especially when you have, when you have training, um, under a, a history, uh, department or any kind of like analytical training, which is what college is for, quite frankly, when you have that training in your head and it's kind of locked in, you can't stop yourself from seeing 
what uh, what is there and from examining things from a you know a, a cultural point of view or a socio-political whatever I mean you just start to bring that into how you look at things um, and I started doing that with comics uh, and then that's what got me to start doing blog writing uh, and that would would eventually lead to when I was on Word of the Nerd and then you know this podcast and the website that goes along with it so really in a lot of ways because of Darwin Cook I am doing this it's it's a it's a roller coaster of a timeline basically of things happening but it really boils down to Darwin Cook and the New Frontier are the reasons that I ended up writing about comic books and pop culture and uh, doing a podcast eventually about a lot of those things so I can only thank him for that I mean it's it's just mind-blowing like how where your life can take you after a while once you really start examining it you know the whole unexamined life thing so I guess yeah thank you Darwin just thank you so much I am so sincerely upset that I'll never get to actually meet you, um, that I'm basically just saying this into the ether and perhaps the molecules that are floating around that were once you can pick up on that and know how loved you were and are and will remain that way because his influence is everywhere. It may not be in the DC comics right now, but there are definitely artists out there and writers who are... Uh, reminiscent of his style that I I always kind of am attracted to. Um, Infinite Loop is definitely a book that when I saw it I was like, oh man, that looks like Darwin and uh, Bruce Tim kind of combined. Like so, definitely if you're into into that, check it out. It's also a beautiful story. Um, and I think it's uh, oh I don't want to start naming off artists if it's not right, but there are definitely people out there who are, who have similar styles to to Darwin that whenever I would see it I would be like, oh, that's clearly Darwin Cook's drawing but then it would be like, oh, it's someone else whoops <laughs> but it just kind of proves how how his um, his art stuck with me that it was always something I was kind of looking for and it definitely influenced the books that I bought so, I mean, even on my shelves now which I pulled because I'm going to start like rereading and kind of want to do a tribute to him at some point on Maniacal Geek, if not a whole week of, of tributes, so maybe as the, as of the, this recording, and I'm probably going to put it up almost as soon as I'm done with it, um, there will be uh, little pieces on his various books, like at least the ones that I really enjoyed. But uh, yeah, so, so after New Frontier, and I started seeking out his work specifically at, at that point too, um, you know, Batman, Ego, and Other Tales is just a gorgeous book. Just the inner conflict that he puts Bruce through, I think, is so gorgeous and so... It's... I mean, it's still scary. I mean, that's the whole point with Batman and the and the choosing of this life, you know. He, he makes that choice to live in the darkness in order to provide light to others and that, that sacrifice that he makes. And anytime he, he wavers, you, know, you have to... You have to have him waver every once in a while or otherwise then... You have no conflict or drama within the character. Um, and so I love how Darwin brings that out. Um, and there's also uh, what... Oh, I think Date Night's in that one, too. Yeah, Date Night, which is Tim Sale actually drawing it and uh, Darwin writing, but they turned it into an animated short. It's actually a silent short, uh, 
for the uh, the Batman animated series that I really loved. But uh, the the story itself is just Batman's chasing Catwoman, and where she takes him is kind of like them having a big old date. You know, with like flower, they she she goes through a flower shop, and you know she's like flowers. Oh, you shouldn't have. And they go through this like club, and like dancing and, and everything, and it's just this really cute story that basically shows just how much Darwin understood Batman and Catwoman's relationship and Bruce and Selina especially and just I think it's just cute and funny um he also did uh oh what was it uh, Selina's big score which was the uh, introduction of the new Catwoman look which was the not the skin tight cat suit basically that um because I think that story came out way after that came out way after Batman Returns, which I'm, hmm, st- you know, the Tim Burton movies are what they are, but I'm just not a big fan of them. You know, sorry, people who like them. Actually, not sorry, but, you know, again, opinion. Uh, and, it, and it was this great reimagining of her costume. You know, no longer the, the really skin-tight thing, but it was a practical suit. And the goggles, like the, those goggles that um, have been used ever since. Uh, just these big kind of cat eye thing, you know, just cover the whole eye, but you can still see her eyes through them, and they're just, it's its this really great way of being expressive, but also practical, and I think he did a great job of really capturing who Selena, you know, is, and her relationship to, you know, people like Slam Bradley, who I know was a, a favorite character of Darwin specifically, because he used him not only in a lot of his stories with Selina Kyle and Catwoman, but also Slam featured um, quite a bit in New Frontier. So he always had a soft spot for him, and uh, it's always kind of interesting artists and writers, like who their favorite characters are and who they want to work with the most. I mean, again, a, a, an example is like Jeff Johns. Like he, he really loved Cyborg and liked the character so much that when the New 52 rolled around, he decided to graduate Cyborg into the Justice League because he thought that the character hadn't uh, gotten his dues, which I don't know if I agree with or not, that Teen Titans was still a great place for him, but you know what? Everyone's got to move up eventually. Uh, You know, if Nightwing can go on his constant exploratory missions and life goals and whatnot, I think uh, Cyborg deserves a a little uh, graduation effort of his own. So good on you. But again, it's, it's always an interesting thing, like, which characters a creator will attach themselves to and when they get into a position where they can like bring them to the forefront like which ones they they do that for so it's always kind of a an interesting thing that I've tried to notice in certain people um but yeah uh so yeah Selena's big score was uh a a a, you know a short uh within a bigger story about Catwoman that uh, Ed Brubaker ended up taking over still is a great uh, you know, combo of writer and artist, uh, and uh, one of my favorite Superman stories to this day still is uh, Superman Kryptonite, which is Darwin writing, but uh, Tim Sale doing the artwork. And I actually met when I met Tim Sale and brought him that book, brought him Kryptonite to sign. He told me it was uh, the book that made him look at Lois differently because of how Darwin saw her and how he wrote her. And I think that Darwin Cook was always amazing when it came to writing female characters and making them important not just to the uh, the you know the the superhero you know 
or the, the male character that I guess they were in support of. I mean, with Selena, not so much. That's her story. Like, she she is the end and the, the beginning and the end of, of her story through Darwin, through Darwin. But he managed, he always managed to make, you know, characters like Lois Lane, who, you know, some might just view as a supporting character, making her as significant to the story and Superman as possible. So those are the things that I always appreciated about him. Uh, that he would take that time and make sure that everyone's place in the story had a purpose. Like, you, I don't, I never felt like he, he used characters superfluously. Like, he always needed them for a specific reason and made sure that they were there from beginning to end for that specific reason. You know, it was, wasn't just like, oh, well, I just want to have all these characters. It was, how do these characters push my story along and then how can I make that story work for them as well? Um, so Lois in, in that story about, um, which is partially told from the kryptonite's point of view, which again is just, it seems so, you know, it can seem so ridiculous and out there. And I, and I know I've told people about this story before where I'm just like, no, not even kidding. Not only is it about Superman really experiencing this idea of fear, um, you know, for, for what he can and can't do or how far he can go before he's, he, he can't save people or like this idea of weakness in him, even though he's all powerful to the, for the most part. And then to see that story also played out in a weird way from the, this huge chunk of kryptonite's point of view, like it's a living, it's a living entity. It's a piece of Clark's home planet. Like that's just, it's so bonkers of an idea, but because of Darwin Cook's convictions and his amazing ability as an, as a writer to depict that, um, in, in the way that he does, uh, because, you know, Tim Sale also brings that to life through, through his art, which has a very similar style. Like they're both very good at the use of black in, um, an for, as an emphasis, uh, instead of just kind of like, oh, well we need it for the outline and everything. But no, this is like heavy shading, heavy black lines and everything. So I, I feel like maybe that was something that they bonded over, but, uh, just, the, the, the way he tells that story and how it plays out with Lex Luthor and Lois and Clark and the, the chunk of kryptonite is so, so well done. It's so good. And I totally recommend that people go out and get that story um, on Amazon or whatever. I get all of his books, quite frankly, uh, because it's, it's just a piece of, of comic book history, I feel, that everyone should at least be aware of, like, what his influence, what his influences were, and who he's influencing now, because I feel like in the wake of his, of his death, a lot more people are going to, to look at his work and be like, remember how fun comics used to be, you know, especially, like, superhero comics, uh, because, again, with the New 52, there was, um, I don't remember what, what the occasion was, but it was Darwin Cook doing variants for all the books. And when you saw his variants in comparison to the book that they were attached to, and you saw all of these characters smiling and having fun and, and being almost the exact opposite of what they're representing at that particular time in comics, or still are representing in this particular time, you're just like, man, I want to live in Darwin Cook's universe. I want to live in that world where the superheroes actually, you know, get along with each other and enjoy doing what they're doing. Because, I mean, anyone who's kind of been 
a DC fan for you know quite a long time and has been going through this re- reboot, New 52 rebirth process all over again, kind of understands that, you know, it's just, it's still a little grim. It, not even a little, it's still grim. It's still grim and gritty and dour, and the movies are reflecting that too in a way that just, it doesn't make you feel good about being a fan of these heroes when, you know, you should come out of it going like, yeah, like they're all about this, like, you know, and, and they're saving people, and they're going through these trials that heroes should go through, but still finding a way to be hopeful about the world around them. Uh, that's what, you know, these heroes through Darwin Cook represented. That's what he thought they were, you know, and they still could be. But right now they're going through a, a moody teenager phase, which is kind of weird considering they've been around for about 75 years, you know, whatever. But what do I know? I've only been reading them since college, so I'm obviously not as big of a fan of some as some people are. Uh, <laughs> it's going to get weird, isn't it? But, um, yeah, so, you know, Selena's Big Score, uh, Batman Ego and Other Tales, uh, New Frontier. Uh, I was also a big fan of his run on the spirit, which if, if you don't know, it's, it's not just a Frank Miller um, movie that he did because, you know, him and Will Eisner were friends, quote-unquote. I, I don't know if I buy that as much as he wants me to, but, uh, yeah, uh, I think Darwin Cook's uh, reinvigoration of the spirit is one of the the best, you know, yeah, right now there's a there's a book out that I really enjoy too, and forgive me, I'm, I, I don't remember the creator's names, but they're doing um, just as good of a job as Darwin Cook did when he took over the spirit and, and revitalized him, like took a lot of the problematic things about it. I mean, it's still rooted in, in that gold silver age, uh, era where the caricatures of, you know, African American and Arab and, um, Asian peoples is, is not flattering, but Darwin Cook managed to take those elements and, uh, repurpose them. He, in the, the young, black cabbie who drives the spirit around is no longer a caricature. He's a fully realized person. Uh, that, those kinds of things. Like, um, he just understood the character because it was just in his wheelhouse. I mean, that's the kind of character that Darwin Cook was always meant to, to do. And so when he took over that for, uh, quite a bit, I have his, the first two volumes that are solely him. I think the third volume is partially him and someone else, but it's been a while. So, you have to reread those again. Uh, he also had a great run, or not great run, but I think he had a solo, just like a, a one-shot for Jonah Hex, which was awesome. Like, anytime he drew the Western characters, I was also just like, over the moon, because I'm a big fan of weird Westerns and just, you know, Westerns in general, so seeing him do Jonah Hex was really kind of fun. Um, and I know he's done a lot of stuff for Marvel as well. He did a, um, a bit that was, uh, I think it was Wolverine and Dupe. Yeah, I want to say that. He he always found a way to bring characters from the modern world and still place them in this kind of uh, 60s mod style, too. You know, he was very... I think he would have done a really good job, like, um, interpreting, like, a Starenko kind of style, which I'm sure he's probably done. He'd probably done at some point. Um, I just don't have everything, because, you know, it's going to be now nigh on impossible to to get all of his, uh, all of his um, artwork... Uh, or find the books because people are going to be eating that up because they should, you know, that's, that's the way it should be. Um, 
it, you always wish that you had a chance to really tell someone in, in, in real life, you know, how much they meant to you or, um, how much influence they had on you. And so it's, this is the best I can do. This is the platform that I can do that on and, and tell people that in the song. I'm sorry if I'm rambling. It's when you're trying to get your thoughts in order about someone who, you know, it's so, it's so fresh and it's so raw and it's weird, you know, that you never know how you're going to react to something like that. Cause like when Robin Williams passed, I, I started crying in my car when I heard it on the, the way home. And this was really kind of no different, you know, like when, when you don't really think about the impact that someone's going to have on your life, even if it's someone you don't know, you know, I've, I've got family members who I think have passed away. I've not devoted as much time and energy into thinking about them as I do an artist who managed to capture something for me that, you know, just, you know, hits, hits you where you live, kind of. I don't know. If it makes sense, great. If it doesn't, yeah, <laughs> it's just the way it is right now. Um, and I think what, I, I have one of his Parker books. You know, he devoted a lot of time to adapting uh, these uh, novels into graphic novels. So, you know, as uh, adapting not only the writing, but then adding the drawings to it. And I have the first one that I still, you know, it, it was something that I purchased because it was him, but just never had the time to start reading. I think that I, I think I purchased that around grad school. So I really didn't have a lot of time for anything that wasn't a history book. And then afterwards, it just becomes a, a point where you're like, man, I don't read as much as I used to. I mean, just like straight prose novels anymore. And I used to be so good at that. I used to, I could go through a, a book a day if I really devoted that much time, if I, I didn't want to sleep, basically. But uh, it's it's definitely something where I think about where, like, you should read more. You should really read more stuff. Uh, not just prose, but comics that are outside what you normally would read. And, uh, but yeah, you know, when things like this happen always makes you kind of re-examine what you're doing, what's it for, where you're going, because I'm trying to, to write more and, you know, maybe collaborate with people a little bit more instead of just, you know, writing reviews, which I don't even do that much of at this point. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's really not what we're here for. Um, if you, if you actually continue listening to this and if you have, you know, kudos to you, like that's, this is half an hour of me <laughs> rambling about how much I enjoy Darwin Cook, and God knows you know, a lot of people have probably tuned out by now, but um, uh, he's he's an artist and a writer and a person that I really wanted to meet at some point, and uh, because I won't, this is, this is the best I can do, is just tell the world, the ether, the cosmos, and like, how much I enjoyed his work and how much influence it actually had on me and that it was instrumental basically in leading me down uh, this path, which I don't regret. I don't have any problems with other than, you know, some of the news that comes out lately, but, uh, thank you. You know, just again, Darwin Cook out there in the, the universe and swirling in the heavens, I guess, as Greg Proops would, would say, uh, just you, 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 you made this girl into a huge fan of the, the medium of comic books and what it could do, what it could accomplish just through story and art. And, um, and I will always be grateful for that. I will always 
cherish that as a as an origin for what I do now and what I will continue to do in in future projects so um with that uh thank you for listening to this you know about 40 minutes of rambling uh, of gushing over Darwin Cook but please you know if you have memories of Darwin uh or uh stories about you know what his influence was on you I would love to to hear that like you can send a comment or you can tweet me at darling underscore sammy s-a-m-m-y go to maniacalgeek.com uh or the facebook page which is maniacal geek and that girl with the curls so uh i you know it's always cool to hear other people's stories about darwin cook um some of them are not always flattering of him but you know he was a human being so none of us are always you know good or bad or just kind of somewhere in between and he was definitely that um but I will miss the fact that his art isn't going to constantly be around anymore. Like he won't be there to do another variant cover. Like those are the things I'm going to miss as much because he was a class act, you know, as much as people might've disagreed with him, they always agreed that he was a good man, you know, and we were sorely in need of those again, um, in the comic book industry, good men who are allies to women, allies to people of color, uh, uh, LGBT plus, you know, all that stuff. We, we needed, we need more people like Erwin Cook to be on our side. And, um, yeah. So thank you for listening, get in contact, share your memories of Darwin Cook or his influence on you. And, um, as always, good night, everybody. The pioneers gave up their safety, their comfort, and sometimes their lives to build our new West. They were determined to make the new world strong and free, an example to the world. Some would say that those struggles are all over, that all the horizons have been explored, that all the battles have been won, that there is no longer an American frontier. And we stand today on the edge of a new frontier, the frontier of unknown opportunities and perils. Beyond that frontier are uncharted areas of science and space, unsolved problems of peace and war, unconquered province of ignorance and prejudice. I'm asking each of you to be pioneers towards that new frontier. My call is to the young and heart, regardless of age, can we carry through in an age where we will witness not only new breakthroughs in weapons of destruction, but also a race for mastery of the sky and the rain, the ocean and the tide, the far side of space, and the inside of men's minds? All mankind waits upon our decision. A whole world looks to see what we shall do. And we cannot fail that trust and we cannot fail to try.